Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Now, this morning we uh, we come to week number three uh, of our uh, series. It's complicated. By show of hands, how many of you are going to be spending time with your immediate family or your extended family here at Christmas? Can I see your hands? Okay, so then every one of you can attest to this fact. It's not just the most wonderful time of year, but can also become the most complicated time of year. Isn't that true? I mean, what with all of the Christmas shopping and all of the wrapping and all the cooking and all the traveling and all the coordination of schedules, somewhere along all of that, Jesus Christ can get lost in his own holiday at his own birthday. And what we want to do here and what we're doing at Grace Crossing Church is we're bringing our focus back to the center, back to the most meaningful part, back to the reason that we even have the most wonderful time of year, and we celebrate it. We're looking at the very first Christmas and all of the complications that really surrounded that very first Christmas. We've already looked at the relational complications. We talked last weekend about the vocational complications, and this week and next week, we're going to focus on the religious complications of that first Christmas. We're going to focus on that. Here's the verse uh, in the passage we're going to look at. Luke chapter 2, verse 21. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. Now, sometimes at Christmas, what we do is we focus on the popular passages And we leave out the larger, even sometimes more significant parts of the narrative that get pushed off to the side. But we don't want to do that. This verse is so powerful because it really communicates two significant truths to us here today. First of all, it tells us that names matter. Now, most of us in this auditorium probably know the background of our names. And you may or may not like your name based on what you know about the background of your name. I'm actually the second uh, son, the second boy, of uh, three boys of, of, of five siblings in my family. And so my oldest brother, the firstborn male, was given the name of my father, uh, first name and middle name. I, the secondborn male, was given the name of my two grandfathers, Gilbert and Alan. And so when it came time for us to have our kids, we decided we were going to think long and hard about what we were going to name our kids. And some of you here, like us, had a really tough time figuring out what to name your kids. And so I really shot for it on the first one. Our first daughter, when she was coming, we knew we were going to have a girl. Um, I picked the name Bianca for our firstborn daughter. Hey, don't laugh. I mean, it was the first time of many my wife got what she wanted, okay? So we named our firstborn daughter, Ashley. I couldn't even get Bianca in the middle name. It's Ashley Michelle. That shows you how much clout I have. And and I'm not sure where I even drew that name from or why I grabbed it, but for some reason it's a name that I thought, man, I'd always love a child named Bianca. Maybe one of my grandkids. Who knows? Well, listen, in the first century, names were really important, more significant than they are in the 21st century. There was often a spiritual significance to choosing the name of your child. And scripturally, here's what happened. Children were not named until the eighth day. Male children were not named until the eighth day on the day of their circumcision. 
So according to Jewish custom, it was on the day of circumcision, which actually dated all the way back to the Old Testament, to the time of Abraham, where it is believed that at Abraham, when when the covenant of circumcision was given, God changed the name Abram to Abraham, and he changed his wife's name, Sarai, to Sarah. And that became a tradition that on the day of circumcision, on the eighth day, the name was selected. And the Bible here says it was on the eighth day, on the day that he was circumcised, that he was given the name Jesus. So it tells us that names are important. Secondly, this verse tells us something that's actually more significant than that. It tells us that every life matters. Listen, that I have a deep appreciation and a deep respect for the newfound slogan that has gained traction these last few weeks. Black lives matter. Let me emphatically state something this morning. I wholeheartedly believe that statement. Some of us in this auditorium, most of us, have no clue what it's like to be marginalized based on the color of our skin. Black lives do matter. And we here at Grace Crossing Church wholeheartedly affirm that and believe that. But listen, as followers of Christ, there's a larger narrative to that. And the larger narrative is this. According to the Bible, all lives matter. God created everything. And God created every human life, which means regardless of color of skin, regardless of race or ethnicity, regardless of gender, regardless of the socioeconomic status of that individual, every life matters to God. That's actually what this verse punctuates. Really notice the last four words. He was given the name before he was conceived. That's really significant. Because what it tells us this morning is this. Every life matters to God at every stage and at every age. And so regardless of skin or sin, God cares about us, God loves us, and God wants relationship with every single one of us. Those messages that we find in this first verse of our passage today is really significant. Names matter to God. He's given the name Jesus. And when has he given it? He's given it before He is conceived. So Jesus was conceived on purpose for purpose. There was something that God was up to that Mary and Joseph could not really wrap their understanding around in this moment. Here's what the Bible actually says in verses 22 through 24. When the time came for purification rites, Required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him, Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves and two or two young pigeons. Now we often focus on this passage when we dedicate children to the Lord here at Grace Crossing Church. But it is much more significant than just a child or an infant dedication. There's something that was was happening in Jewish custom that we can't miss out on, we can't overlook. Forty days after the birth of a child, a Jewish family, the parents, were to travel from wherever they were living to Jerusalem to the temple. 
And when they arrived, they were to bring their newborn child to God. It was a very significant moment for those families. But it was particularly significant if it was the firstborn. This became actually a tradition that was carried through the Old Testament and into New Testament Jewish custom that was this. It was called the, the first fruits offering. Began all the way back in the Old Testament in Exodus when it says this. Exodus chapter 13, the Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me every firstborn male, the first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether human or whether animal. God, by the way, spoke this to the Israelites just after 700 years of Egyptian bondage and slavery, but before they ever crossed the Red Sea. So God wanted them to know something really early when they left the Egyptian bondage and slavery. And here's what he wanted them to know. Everything you have belongs to me. But what I want you to remember is that this first fruits offering is really important. This brings to us our big idea and our talking points for this morning's message. If you want to experience blessings from God, you must practice obedience to God. Let me say that again. If you want to experience blessing from God, you must practice obedience to God. And blessing begins with a small step of obedience. What was that small step of obedience? Let's go back to uh, Luke chapter 2. The Bible says they bring the child Jesus to the temple to dedicate him or present him to the Lord but they did more than that. There was a custom, a tradition, that was called the redemption offering or the buyback offering. The idea of it was this. When you bring your child to dedicate your child, you also bring a tangible offering, a tangible gift to give to God. And according to Jewish law, that required gift was a lamb that was given as part of a thanksgiving offering, and it was a dove or a pigeon that was given as a sin offering for the forgiveness or cleansing of, of, of those parents. Now, the Jewish law made exceptions for one group of people, those that were poor. Those that had nothing and could not afford a lamb, they were actually given the exception in the law. And the exception was that instead of bringing a lamb, they could actually bring two turtle doves or two pigeons. It was a peasant's offering. And so what the Bible does here is it punctuates something really significant. It tells us something about the economic status of Jesus' parents. They did not have money. They had nothing much to offer. But the Bible says what they do is they, they bring their offering that they do have. Now, like some of you, when Kelly and I were first married, uh, we, we went through some really economically challenging times. We got married young. Uh, we moved all the way from eastern Pennsylvania near Philadelphia to Nebraska, 24-hour drive, loaded up what little we had, and I entered Bible college, and I began to study for the ministry. My wife actually became the source of our income. She got a job at a Christian school. 
uh, teaching in a private school, making a very menial salary. In fact, if I remember correctly, honey, I think we had about $10 a week to spend on groceries during that time. It wasn't much. We couldn't even afford $10. Man, I, I, I wish there was ramen noodles back then, right? I mean, it would have helped me out. We, we could hardly afford anything. And yet we decided to do something early in our marriage that we've never regretted. My wife grew up in a home where they went to church, but at the age of 12, the same day, her and her father gave their lives to Christ. Their, their life was changed. And she learned from an early age that one of the things you do is you honor God by giving him the first of whatever you make. Now, I didn't grow up that way. And so when my wife and I had this discussion when I'm in Bible college, and I know it's the right thing to do, and she's suggesting that we give this offering, our tithe, the first 10% of what little we make. I'm a typical guy, man. I went to the spreadsheet. And I said, honey, just take a look at the numbers. There's, there's no way we can actually afford to do this. I know what you're thinking today. You're a pastor, and you struggled with this? Absolutely. I struggled with the obedience step. And I learned something when we stepped out in faith and did it then, that I still am convinced of today, and it's this. Even though I said then, we cannot afford to do it, I learned that we could not afford, we couldn't afford not to do it. Because if we didn't do it, we actually separated ourselves from what God wanted to do in our lives. And then before I ever graduated, before I ever got my degree, the unthinkable happened. My wife got pregnant. I still don't know how it happened, honestly. I, I'm still trying to figure that all out. But she got pregnant, and so it threw a complete wrench into our well-laid-out plans. Um, in her second trimester, she was told by the doctor, you are a high-risk pregnancy. Uh, Ashley, actually, our oldest daughter, was a twin. We haven't shared that with a lot of people, but we lost her twin in pregnancy. And she was told that there's a lot of potential complications. And so she was given literally a bed rest sentence. She had to quit her job. She didn't have enough leave, uh, uh, you know, a sick leave to be able to take to continue to receive income. And so we lost the only source of income we had. And let me tell you, we, I was so tempted at that time to just say, God, look, we simply can't do this. We simply can't really obey what you're asking us to do. And yet we chose at that moment, largely because of my wife's faith, we chose obedience over convenience, and we continued to trust God. And I'll tell you, there were days we had nothing in our cupboards, and I'll never forget the day I walked to our little studio apartment, and I opened the door, and there were bags of groceries that were sitting there. There was so much food in those bags that we not only filled our refrigerator and our freezer, but I had to call a friend and ask him if we could borrow his refrigerator and his freezer to fill his. One day, a cashier's check was slid under our door, we had no idea who it was from. All of these anonymous things that were happening that were taking care and providing our needs, I, I, I suspect God was behind it all. And I suspect God was doing what he promised to do. That if we will just simply obey more than anything else, that God will take care of what we need. That's actually what the scripture teaches in 1 Samuel. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings? Does he delight in sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord. To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of ram. So at the end of the day, we learn then what I still am convicted of today, and that is more than anything else, what God wants 
is he wants our obedience. And blessing begins with a small step of obedience, but there's a second talking point. Obedience means we do what we know. It means we do what we know. Some of us here are actually making sacrifices in our lives right now. But godly dedication requires that we make the right kind of sacrifices. Some of us here are sacrificing. We're sacrificing our future on the altar of the present. Some of us here are sacrificing our families on the altar of our careers. And you know, it's easy to sacrifice for all the wrong reasons and all the wrong things. And at the end of the day, what God says is this, more than anything else, what I want you to do is just simply obey me. There's lots of shortcuts we can take. Joseph and Mary had plenty of shortcuts. They weren't even in their homeland. They were now in Bethlehem. They had the opportunity to move on with their life, to cut their strings, and go elsewhere. I want you to put yourself in their place for just a moment. Here's a young couple. A young couple that had this complete wrench thrown into their plans. She gets an announcement that there's going to be an unplanned pregnancy. She actually has an unplanned delivery and birth of a child whose father wasn't even her fiancé. You talk about scandal of epic proportions in the first century. That was huge. And there's everything inside of this young couple that certainly would have felt embarrassment and shame and guilt that would have come with that experience. This is the first time they, uh, they, they travel back to Jerusalem. And they come to the temple, and can you imagine what they're thinking? What are people going to say? You know, words, on the, words out on the street here of what happened. What are people going to think? How are people going to look at me when I walk into the temple? You know, isn't it ironic that when we feel guilt and shame, the last place we want to be is in God's presence? Isn't that interesting? I mean, it's why some of us skip out on church, quite honestly. Because we go through something in our life, we feel guilty, we feel shame, and what do we do? We say, i got to stay away from the very place I should be. The very thing I need most in my life is God's presence and God's family, God's love extended through his family. But the very thing I'm afraid to go to is the very thing that I need. And, and what the Lord actually is doing here is God's bringing this couple back to the place and the point of connecting to him. I think it teaches us a very important principle, and it's this. When you don't know what to do next, do what you know. When you don't know what to do next, do what you know. Go back to the basics. Go back to what you do know, and don't get bogged down in what you don't know. Mary and Joseph do not get caught up in what they are not aware of or what may happen, but they simply go back to the basics and say, we're going to go and we're going to trust God and we're going to dedicate and bring this offering to the temple to dedicate this child to the Lord. I think that's really significant. Because sometimes in our life we, we hit these bumps in a road and they tend to want to get us off track and what we tend to do is say, I really don't know how to get back on track. And all it takes is one step in the right direction. Doing the right thing. Moving in God's direction. And so here's this couple coming. Making a decision. Every time that we have a child dedication here at Grace Crossing Church, 
we actually remind the parents and we remind you of, a, of an important principle. This decision and this act of faith and trust is not a decision this child is making. It's a decision the parents are making. Let's call it, if we will, an involuntary dedication. Now, now albeit significant to us, it, it's a milestone for many families, an infant baptism, uh, a child dedication. Those are significant family moments, no doubt about it. But that child had nothing to do with making that decision. There came a moment when Joseph and Mary had to do what parents do when they come and dedicate their child to the Lord. They took his body and they lifted it up and they presented it back to God. Now I want you to think of the symbolism of that. And I want to make a juxtaposition this morning with something that happens. Fast forward now all the way to the end, the last day of Jesus' biological, physical life. This was the beginning of his life. His parents are lifting up his body in an involuntary dedication. But the end of the story is this. Here's what happens the night that he was arrested. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare it, they asked. He replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Then notice what it says next. And he took bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it and said, this is my body for you. First, for you, God. But secondly, for every one of those disciples and every one of us sitting here at Grace Crossing Church today. Here's the juxtaposition that I don't want you to miss. At the dedication of Jesus, his body was involuntarily dedicated to God. But there comes a point and a moment in every one of our growth and maturity where God expects every one of us to have a voluntary dedication. Where we lift up our bodies and our lives and we say, God, this is our body. This is our life for you. We give it to you. That's actually what Romans chapter 12, verse 1 teaches us. I urge you, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This, this is your true and proper worship. Worship is not a song. Worship is not a band. Worship is not prayer. 
Worship is not a church service. Oh, these are all tools that God uses to bring us into worship. But worship is the voluntary dedication of our bodies and our lives back to God. What Jesus provides for us is an incredible illustration and example of what each one of us are expected to do in our lives. To come before God at some moment and say, God, this is my body. This is my body for you. I'm going to live my life for you. I want you this morning to think about and meditate on that as our ushers prepare to serve us one element this morning. The element they're going to bring us is a grape. You say, why a grape? Because a grape actually represents both the body and the blood in one element. It is flesh and it is also juice. And this morning, what I want to do as we receive these elements is I want you to think about and meditate on what that means to you to dedicate your body, your life to God. What does it mean to offer up as an act of obedience what you have to give it back to God? We welcome anyone here that knows Christ as their Savior to join us, whether it's your first time or you're a member of Grace Crossing Church. We also welcome those of you that this morning are making that decision. You're saying, you know what, something in my heart says, this is my moment, this is my hour, this is my day to dedicate. We invite you to take one of those grapes and hold them, and I'm going to come back, and I want to lead us together in receiving the body and the blood that Jesus Christ shed and broke for us. I want you to think for just a moment about the significance of what we're about to do. There's only one gift that you can give God that he doesn't already have. And there's only one gift that you can give God that if you don't give it, he'll never get it. You are uniquely created by God. There's no two of you. There's no carbon copies. You will live your life and you will die with the gift that God entrusted just to you alone. Think about it. If you don't give God your worship and you don't give God your life, God never gets it. He will never have it. And this Christmas, this is the gift that, that was modeled in the presentation of the body of Jesus. This is the gift that Jesus offered up by his own will. And it's the gift I'm urging you, according to Romans 12.1, to present to God today. If that thought and if that idea has any significance or meaning to you today for whatever reason, I'm going to ask you as we sing the next verse of this, I stand before you at this altar. If this idea has any significance in your heart right now, I'm going to invite you to stand with me as we receive the elements, this element. And we remember what Jesus did for us, but more importantly, because of what Jesus did for us, we present back to him our body and our life. You're welcome to remain seated, but if you feel compelled to stand today as a prayer to God, 
and you say, God, I'm willing and I'm doing this today. I'm offering you my life, my body. It's not about what we have or how much we have. It's about making it available to God. Jesus took the bread. He gave thanks. I can't even imagine that, knowing what was coming. And he broke it and he said, this is my body. It's my body, broken for you. Take and eat. And drink in remembrance of me for the forgiveness of your sins. Let's pray together before we receive. Lord, we humbly come before you today. Reminded that the very breath we breathe is a gift from heaven. The fact that our heart is beating, that our lungs are expanding, that we can inhale and exhale. We have the gift of our five senses. Even if life and age has somewhat hurt or crippled those senses, what we do have is a gift from you. And all you invite us to do, God, is to take what we have and offer it back to you so that you can then bless it. And God, if we want to experience the blessings from you, then we have to first dedicate ourselves and be obedient to you. We thank you for the example of Joseph and Mary dedicating and lifting the body to the Lord. And in this moment, this is an adult dedication. This is not an involuntary one, God. Every one of us on our feet are exercising our free will and we are voluntarily dedicating ourselves to you today in this moment. So thank you, Lord, for your presence. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for forgiveness. And thank you, God, this Christmas for the opportunity to bring what we have and give it back to you. We pray your blessing on these next few moments as we celebrate together. Let's this morning take this grape representing the flesh, the broken body, and the blood. Let's receive it with thanksgiving, and then Jamie will lead us in a final song. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.